is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. To Pedersen right circle, 45 seconds left on the power play. Left wing Besser back to Hughes, shot from the wide tip, they score! Andre Kuzmenko! On one for the Canucks, JT Miller in front to Pedersen, geeks to the forehead, he scores! Reestablishes the Vancouver lead with the instant reaction from the players and coaches. He dumps it around the right wing wall. Pedersen's got it again. Settles it. Stretches it ahead to Miller. Short-handed breakaway. Miller in alone scores. Who needs five skaters on the ice? On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks. Trounce the Leafs 4-1 here at Rogers Arena, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Leafs, like a playoff game, can't get past the first round, can't win against the Canucks in this playoff type of game. Rick Tockett laid down the gauntlet before the game, said it's a playoff type atmosphere, and the Canucks got the better of the Leafs, and you know what? The Leafs carried play for a big part of it, but give the Canucks credit for finding a way to win this game, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Get your uh, thoughts into our Dunbar lumber text them box 650 650 you can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650 it's Satyar Shaw and Bik Nazar let's bring in Brett Fessling into the conversation and Brett when you look at the, the intensity the Canucks played with tonight they did approach this much like a playoff type of game we joked about that before the game about how talk is trying to play it up and everything and it seemed like right off the bat, Tyler Myers takes a big run at John Tavares, knocks him right over. He fights Jake McCabe. The Canucks really set the tone physically for this game and then started carrying play throughout the second period. It, it, was, it was an impressive performance against a Leafs team that maybe underestimated the Canucks today, but the intensity was certainly there, for, there from Vancouver. Yeah, that was by far the most physical and intense game I've seen out of this team this year. So it was... It was fun to watch. And you know what? Shen even got it going right off the bat. That was that was fun to watch. He got a hit in, what, the first three seconds, and then he comes around. Tavares gets that uh, hit by Myers there. It really, really set the tone, and it carried through. That's the thing. Is it wasn't just like first period in a lull. And whatever. That was a 60-minute lull, I mean, up to the least power play, but that was a full game. And, and I was I had that, like, I felt like I was playing in it almost. It was, it was fun to watch. Going to need the uh, Canucks players to cancel their Netflix accounts and just play this game in a loop all summer, right? Because that's what you want to bottle, right? It, it was a 60-minute effort. It came from different areas, right? It was physicality, intensity earlier. They win the territorial battle in the second period, and obviously the, the short-handed <laughs> effort was phenomenal. It, it's This is the thing. It's, it's maddening at times, and yet you see the highs. We've seen the lows, but this is what the highs can look like, and they brought it in every facet. It wasn't just like, hey, it was a power play game. They ran them out of the building. There was intensity. There was offense. There was structure yeah. even throughout the whole game. That's It was, again, complete effort throughout. Yeah, uh, It really was. And when when we look at things you got to start building towards, and we know at the end of this season, the Canucks, it is what it is, right? But there are going to be a number of players that are going to be on this team moving forward beyond this. And it's not about this one game, but it's more about trying to, I guess, from talk his perspective, and we'll hear from him, about starting to build a culture, build an identity for how you play and, and what you're all about. And it's the very early stages of it, but I think we're starting to see some early beginnings of what, what Canucks hockey is going to start looking like from this point on. Yeah, I use the term flybys. There, there wasn't. like yeah. the, bef- I, We've watched a lot of games where there's a four check, but then there's a flyby, and, you know, the D-men kind of 
just joins the rush or whatever. There wasn't a lot of flybys. It was down the lineup because Manko, Buckles, and Dries. Mm -hmm. Dakota Joshua had some amazing hits tonight. Everybody was buying into a physical structured game, so it was really fun to see. Is there one particular player that really stands out from tonight that you say, hey, this is where it all started? Is it the Myers hit to start the game? Is it Joshua throughout the game? Miller, obviously, with the two shorthanded points. Patterson, obviously, as well. I, I, I like the Myers hit just because it's so so early and set a tone so early to just grab a hold of and mm -hmm. go. But not only that is they kept it going. I feel like you can see see those, or those can happen in the game, and then it – Teams get intimidated or they fall off. Everybody jumped on that, mm -hmm. which is like, it's nice to see everybody pulling in the same direction to me. Well, and I like that as well in terms of starting to build that, that stuff out. But we know the guy between the pipes tonight, Thatcher Demko, absolutely outstanding performance. His third straight starts and returning from injury, missing 35 games. And honestly, proving me wrong completely because when I when he came back, people wondered, like, is he going to be is he gonna be the, uh, the biggest threat to the tank, so to speak, because of, you know, how good he can be? And I'm like, hey, he's coming off a 35-game layoff. How long is it going to take for him to figure it out under a team that's going through a transition with a new coach? It can't be easy. I can't expect him to come in and look like a Thatcher of old. We haven't even seen the Thatcher of old this year. Before he got injured, his game was obviously struggling. It's a big ask for him to come in and then play like the Thatcher of old. Well, I'm a fool because he's playing like Thatcher of old and it's three games in. It doesn't look like he's missed a single beat after missing 35 games. Yeah, he's got such a calming influence in that. And especially a game tonight that that physical and that intense and, and guys are in and out and there's crashing and banging and he's just quiet mm -hmm. in a way, you know, in front and he's direct and, you know, he's sucking him in the one, one stop in the third. It was labeled, I think it was on the power play, and his head's to the right of the body, and we mentioned on the broadcast, and right. he's catching on the left side. Bunting's in front of him? Exactly, right? Like, those those look so simple when he does them, but you know they're not, and those are the type of little plays in the game that really make a big difference. So where does it impact the skaters then? Is it mental that, hey, we got that guy, we can always just play our game, or is it physical, it's like we can stretch ourselves a bit because we know that guy's there? Both. So, like, mental, yeah, because you do play different when you know he can. So the physical part is you can be more aggressive. You can get out in front pucks and stuff because you know if you make a mistake, he's there mm -hmm. to bail you out. But you also know you're not going to have to recover as much to get bodies on the ice and clear pucks, whereas before, I mean, nothing against Martin or Seelov, but, like, if you're in the crease and you're getting more pucks, you're naturally just going to cheat towards that front of the crease and slot zone just to react. Where we saw guys kind of creep behind goalies all of a sudden and Myers is trying to exactly. block the net himself. You're trying to cheat to that spot because you want to be able to clear those pucks, but you're not worried about those pucks being loose or right. dropping in those areas. It just allows you to front those pucks more, and it's a better mentality in front of them. Well, it's, it's one of those things where chicken or the egg, right? We talk about goaltending and we talk about bad, poor defense, and early on the season, Thatcher wasn't on top of his game, but the Canucks were giving up a ton of chances, but maybe that's a real indication of seeing the difference between trusting your goaltender and not trusting your goaltender to some degree, right, when it comes to defending, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Like, if you have trust in him, you can play, and you see that and you see that with these young guys. Like, or I mean, I don't know how if they're all young, but like your yeah. less experienced D-men back there between Brisebois and and Juleson and, and Juleson made some really nice plays in that soft. Mm -hmm. Even the last Nets pulled, I get it's a 4-1 game, but you're in Toronto, one of the most intense games of the year, and Wolanin makes a backhand soft play into the middle to break it out. That's where Petey ends up hitting the post there. But those type of plays and that confidence out of a guy like Wolanin that we've talked about, hey, can he elevate to this regular 
NHL level, those type of plays that late in the game show he has that possibility. So that's good to see. Confident game from him and a confident game from the Vancouver Canucks in general. Thatcher Demko backstopping them and the man who set the tone early with a massive hit on John Tavares and pushes Willie Nylander away and then dusts Jake McCabe is Tyler Myers joining us outside of the Canucks locker room. And you know, Tyler, congrats on getting the victory against the Leafs. I know all Canucks fans love it uh, when the Leafs lose, especially here at Rogers Arena. But that moment, setting that tone, we, we spoke to Dakota Joshua after the first period and he was fired up over it. Did you feel like that moment really got you guys, you know, juiced up for the rest of the game, considering how how worked up you were for the game with the intensity being ratcheted up by the head coach? Um, I, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I thought, uh, you know, you see the hit that uh, Schenner put on Phil, the uh, very first shift of the game, it kind of, you know, so told us it was going to be a physical game and had an opportunity there in my first shift and you know I caught him caught him pretty good but uh, you know I'm really happy with the way the guys uh, play tonight you know I thought uh, our second and third were better than our first but um, you know we're, it's moving in the right direction and guys are, are, are really buying into what we're trying to do. How great is it then to see not only use kind of come out with that first hit but then we were just talking earlier it was consistent throughout the whole evening not just yourself like everyone's trying to back up that level of physicality too yeah it was awesome I, it, you know I think it was our most physical game that I can remember uh, this year and I, I think that should be our standard uh, you know there's going to be games where it's not going to be as you know noticeable uh, as it was tonight um, but it was a it was a you know an intense atmosphere tonight right from the get-go and it was a it was a fast hockey game, you know, it felt like it was, you know, a late in the season type of game. Um, you know, even though we're not in a position where we want to be, uh, we want to keep pushing ourselves to play at that level level to finish off well here. And I thought we did that tonight. And, and, and you know, like you said, Demmer played an unbelievable game too. Well, I, I know there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, structure-wise and how you guys play and, and maybe having more trust because you guys know where everybody's going to be. And that's very evident, especially since Rick's taken over and you guys have bought into that. But also having Thatcher Demko between the pipes and the confidence he gives you guys. You just got to kind of feel the trust really growing when, when you have everybody going the way you guys did tonight? For sure. Um, you, can, you can see guys are, you know, I said it before, but guys are really buying into the structure we're, we're trying to play on a consistent basis and you can see it getting more consistent uh, you know from shift to shift uh, as every game goes by uh, so we just got to keep building as a group and you know just keep keep looking at the different ways we can get a little bit better each and every game. You talked about the rest of the way here so what's important then to build upon in, in these final 20 some odd games here? Consistency um, that's a big one and you know a lot of that is preparation coming into the games you know, uh, it doesn't matter what position we're in. We always have something to play for. And, you know, right now uh, it's a good feeling in the room. And that's what we've been trying to get to uh, this whole year. And I think this last month has been a really good, uh, you know, really good um, adjustment and, and grind for us of, of trying to bring ourselves to become a better hockey team. Hey, Tyler, thanks for your time. Uh, good job on winning the game tonight, and I know a lot of fans are fired up after that huge win, so enjoy this one tonight. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, that is Canucks defenseman Tyler Myers after a 4-1 win over uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, Brett, he was kind of talking about that, the, the buy-in in terms of how they're playing. And it's clear, I mean, we know where the season is going, and I know a lot of people are looking at the high draft pick being the best thing for the organization, and, and it absolutely is. And with the one-off against the Leafs, I think everybody kind of is happy when they beat the Leafs, but we're all, we all kind of know where the season is going and what's been going on. But... 
can you grow something tangibly from this season if you start building on some of those foundational things trust-wise like Tyler was mentioning? Yeah, exactly. you got to think that there's a core group of guys here that's going to carry over into next year. So when he says things like um, it's a good feeling in the room, those are really good signs. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, you got to take a bit with a grain of salt because he's never going to—he's not going to say it's a bad feeling in the room. But when he, when he says that and you see the product on the ice getting better and more trust going, that's a good sign that they are starting to build like a little culture camaraderie in in the battle and in the details of the game. So. Um, yeah, I think we know where it's going this year, but it's definitely the stepping stones into a better season next year. So there's obviously a necessary injection of talent that is going to be required in the offseason and push this forward. We got into a conversation on the show yesterday about there's been too much emphasis on the idea of culture and the, the fact that the practice habits, yeah, they need to improve, obviously, and it might improve maybe 1% to 2%. What's the bigger thing that will push this forward? Is it all the other things that are off the ice that you can handle yourself? Or is it the other thing of, hey, you got a high draft pick and injects this player if it's Bedard or whatever? I, I kind of push back on the idea. You kind of need both, but I feel like there's this demand that, oh, you have to do one or the other. No, I think you're right. I think that's. I think you need to build on what they're building on now, structure and team and depth through you see the young guys contributing and playing within that system and, and having – you know, creating momentum, mm-hmm. which is really nice. But then by adding those certain pieces, you you get the game breakers, right? So, like, the structure and the depth allows you to stay in games no matter what. And the injection of talent lets you break those games and get more wins and losses. I, I guess it just becomes, like, at what point do you want to start working on either? And I think that's the, the crux for so many people. It's like, hey, it's great they won tonight, but they also recognize it pushes us away from those game breakers. And do you start to instill those habits of culture and camaraderie come the summer but you can't hit pause on competing yeah you can't and you're telling pros to do that you're not going to do it are you thinking the injection of culture or injection of talent is draft picks I think I think a lot of people feel that way yeah 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 I mean I think they can do that you're right if you're kind of in a race to the middle you might not get that yeah that you know superstar that can make a difference right away um who knows what these pieces there is so many pieces on the board right now with draft picks and and adding heronic and those kind of guys so i i don't know if there's moves there for for cap reasons to bring in talent that's that's mm-hmm. producing now and not necessarily in three years but um yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting offseason, that's for sure. Yeah, there's a lot more work to do, and the Canucks, while they said they're pretty confident about some stuff they can get done this offseason, so the speculation won't end, and the moves will not end this offseason. <laughs> Brett, great stuff as always, calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor. A fun one tonight. Canucks, Leafs, Canucks win 4 1. Uh, and I know it hasn't always been uh, the fun, most fun games at home ice, but this was one of the better games we've seen from the Canucks, and a great atmosphere and a great job calling the game alongside Batch tonight. Thank you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun tonight. It felt like. Uh Felt like I was playing again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great buzz and vibe in the building. Yeah. That's Brett Festling, former NHL defenseman and also former Vancouver Giant, and that Vancouver Giants team inducted into the BC Hall of Fame. Had a good chat with Brett about that last week on Canucks Central. We have more coming up uh, on the post-game show. Canucks win 4-1 over the Leafs. 650-650s or Dunbar Lumber text inbox. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And we'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett as the Canucks post-game show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. In downtown Vancouver, here's Tavares, left wing to the Canuck blue line. Try to shot, is run over by Tyler Myers. A huge hit. Nylander across to challenge Myers. So is McCabe. Myers shrugs them both off. McCabe drops the gloves. Myers tackles him into the corner boards. And they go down in a heap together. Canucks win 4-1 over the Leafs. Tyler Myers setting the tone early on with a big hit on John Tavares. The Canucks victors tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs, a game the head coach mentioned was going to be like a playoff-type atmosphere, and it was about as close to that as you can get for a team that's heading, well, towards the bottom 10 and in the bottom 10 of the standings in the National Hockey League. So as intense as it can get for this Canucks squad, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, 650-650. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And... I know there are a lot of reactions coming in on the text inbox about beating the Leafs, and we always enjoy the jokes per 60. Uh, But also just the feeling of having a fun hockey game. This one says, unsigned text, I hated their deadline moves. I was hoping for picks and rebuilding moves this year, and I want them to tank, but damn if that wasn't entertaining as hell watching PD and JT Miller kill the Leafs. Mike, the urologist from Brockville. And it's one of those games, Bick, it's like, you know, you can feel like whatever you want, but it was just a fun hockey game, and everybody has a shared disdain for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, there's people on opposite ends of draft pick and compete and retool and rebuild. But you know what unifies everyone, Sat? Getting a W over Toronto. <laughs> everyone tonight, it's all the same message from mm-hmm. fans tonight. Yeah, we can put everything aside for one minute because they beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was probably, what, 60-40 Leafs fans in here tonight? Felt that way. Mm-hmm. Felt that way tonight. And the crowd gave it back to each other. It was pretty cool atmosphere. Leafs fans obviously doing the go Leafs, goes chance, trying to the one time they can see them in this city. They were loud. Canuck fans, louder than them. Uh, and certainly get to laugh the loudest and the last uh, walking out with a big victory. Yeah, I, well, you know, big victory in terms of how they felt about it. You heard Tyler Myers uh, mention it post game about they've been working hard in terms of keeping their structure together and being able to play off one another and it just having that trust back. And we spoke to Brett about that. I just can't also over- look over the fact of having Thatcher Demko between the pipes tonight and how well he played against this Leafs team. And this was. Maybe his first game was his most impressive performance, even though he gave up four goals, given he was his first game back, and there was such a high degree of difficulty right away mm-hmm. with the amount of chances that, it was, that were given up. But in the game he played tonight, it was just so in control, and he showed that against the Wild as well, but then backs, backs it again tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who leaned a bit more than the Wild ever did. And, and the other night here at Rogers Arena, that's just got to give the entire group so much confidence when you have your goalie back playing the way he was tonight. So focused, you know, we talked about a play in the second period near the end of it, uh, right at the end of it, where Hughes and Demko kind of blocked that shot from Matthews, and Hughes blocks another one. And the focus that he had in that play, because he loses the stick through all the commotion, through all the goal mouth scramble, he loses his stick. Hughes loses his stick too, but Mm. retrieves it. And Quinn Hughes picks up Thatcher Demko's stick and hands it to Thatcher Demko, Mm -hmm. who's tracking the play. And he said, it's not even so much that he didn't take the stick – we're not even sure if he noticed it mm-hmm. because he was so focused on the play. 
and almost just like shrugged Quinn Hughes aside because he wanted to keep his eyes on the play rather than look down and grab the stick. Always in control of what he can control, right? Be in the crease, be big, maintain your focus on the play, and eventually puck came around and Canucks got it and he was able to grab a stick. But a play where he's not even making a save, but you just see the locked-on control, uh, 35 was in net. Yeah, absolutely. Completely locked in with, with his positioning and how he was playing. And, you know, he's made three straight starts. And you don't have a back-to-back coming up until, what, in two weeks from now? Oh, we'll see. Well, I mean, they're playing him a lot now. We'll see if they keep throwing him out there. And, you know, with him going the way he is, he might help this team win a few hockey games. Knuckle in Richmond says, It makes no sense for the Canucks to win now. All that means is their draft lottery odds take a dive. Guess they don't want to be bad for Bedard, is one text coming in. Depressing for the franchise is another one. Why you're hyping up the win? It's a horrible for our draft. We should celebrate the losses, not wins. That mean nothing is a text that come in. But not everybody feels that way. Jane Poco says, says fans say be positive yet every win hurts van's draft uh, position no cap space bad contracts and quintupling down on a core who is who in five years barely achieved anything i'm so confused that's one more text uh, text coming in that's on the i don't care they won this hockey game i'm not happy about it but there are those that say the stinking leafs lost and the loser oilers lost i call that a perfect evening so there's a bunch others of feel that way as there's well. a bunch of those uh talking some trash as well uh I thought the teams in the East were supposed to be good. That's from Sam, 650-650. Devin from Surrey, if you're going to win one game when you're supposed to tank, might as well be against the Maple Leafs, uh, Devin from Surrey. Uh, and Gavin says that was the most fun game of the year. Forget the tank for this one. Worth the W, 650-650. Uh, and also, Raymond text again. If they can fix the defense... Get lucky in a couple of things. There is a way to make this team a contender. Kuzmenko is a legit star. Demko, PD Hughes, if they take that superstar step, which they will. We have a squad. Miller was great tonight, too. That's from Raymond texting in 650-650. The, the, the PD Hughes-Demko stuff. It's not that they don't have superstar capabilities. They just have to be consistent mm-hmm. with it. The production's been there for Hughes in the past, but we've seen now in these past two and a half months the overall consistent play is really rounded to form. Pedersen's having a great productive year. I still want to see the overall dominance happen game to game to game to game to game, which is there for him. Yeah. It's there for him. I'm excited to see what happens for next year because he's put himself in this spot where I think we can easily say he's about a top 10 center. I think that's being conservative, but you know, for me it's probably closer to 7, but nevertheless, top 10. Once you start breaking out of that tier into that top tier, mm-hmm. that's that's his challenge for next year. Yeah. And once he starts doing that, that's the group that is so consistent year after year after year where they're obvious threats all of the time, not just to score goals, but just they're the players yes. that cause opposing coaches problems because you have to game plan against them constantly. Say, hey, when 40's on the ice, we've got to be aware he's going to manipulate this way and he's going to dominate this way. That's the next step for Elias Pettersson. That last echelon, and he can do it. He absolutely can. And one of the things that I'm noticing trend-wise with the Canucks is the shot differentials aren't necessarily in always Vancouver's favor. Well, tonight they certainly weren't. They weren't. But one thing that has been in their favor is some of the scoring chance differentials. Like, even look at Elias Pettersson. If you look at Pettersson and you say his course, he's like, oh, Pettersson didn't have a good night tonight. He was only controlling 38.5% of the um, shots. But you start breaking that down and look at the high danger scoring chances. Five when he was on the ice, only one against. 
I don't care about the volume if the quality is in your favor mm-hmm. handily. And that's one thing that it was. And I didn't even think Pedersen had a great game by his standards. Had some moments. I know Ella was asking the question earlier, did you think Pedersen had a quiet game? I thought he had some quiet moments. But then you saw also in moments where it, that level plays up and you get some, you get some a scoring chance and an opportunity. You see how he's able to really take advantage of those situations. Here's the thing. If you're going to have a quiet game, make sure it's also quiet in your end yes. too. You can't be ineffectual in one end in the offensive end and have all these issues in your end. So, yeah, okay, the shot metrics were in favor, but how many quality opportunities? Are you keeping people to the outside? We say all the time, if you're not producing, how else are you winning? Can you still protect the guts? We'll break out a talkativeism. Do that bit and play for the next shift, not just for your teammates, but your next shift. You didn't win this shift, go win the next one, and don't lose your shifts in particular. You can play to a draw. It's fine. It happens. That, to me, was Pedersen's night until the penalty kill explosion for him and JT Miller. And actually should highlight on that play uh, the first one, the the Pedersen goal. That all starts because Tyler Myers tips that pass out into the slot. It was a cross-scene pass. Mm -hmm. Myers, big reach, is able to poke that free. And then Miller, look, I don't know what the injury was, looked fine to me exploding through the neutral zone getting up on Morgan Riley, who had to keep backing up, keep backing up. And he open had a real scene. boost. He had real, yeah, he had a real burst there. Yeah, and able to slide in Pedersen, who goes uh, five-hole and also head first into the post. But that play all gets started up by Tyler Myers as well. Yeah, I mean, Myers had some real good moments. Today. And, and, you know, we talked to him a little bit, and I wanted to get into it for with him a little bit more if we have more time about his, his individual season and, and how difficult it's been and what he needs in order to kind of get back to being more of a net positive player. And we saw that last year, especially towards the end of the season with Bruce, who played a lot better. And by the time the end of the season got there, the organization felt a lot better about how he's performed and where it was kind of trending. And this year is taking a massive nosedive. But we know there's more there. And if you're looking at in terms of, you know, the future – this was a Hockey Night in Canada game against the Leafs and Tyler Myers throwing big hits, being physical. Those are the things that, that do get noticed across the league. So you come next offseason, these are the types of moments GMs do remember about a player, a big physical righty defenseman that can clear the front of the net and, and, and handle himself physically. Those things do matter, so we'll see where things go with Tyler Myers once this season ends. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650 uh, watching Demko come back to form and how they played with solid structure tonight really gives me hope that with a few more moves, this team could actually compete. I'm excited. That's Nathan A. in Northern Ontario. Do you want to do this here before we get Rick talking in? We'll talk more about the move that was made, Philip Hironic. Mm-hmm. But just a moment on that. The Canucks gave up a first and a second round pick for a righty defenseman. And he's injured right now. He's going to be coming to Vancouver on Monday, and we'll see ultimately when he can get into the lineup. But if you look at pieces the Canucks have now, and this is what Patrick Alvin said when he joined us at Canucks Central. He said, we believe we have pieces, Elias Patterson, Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes, Andre Kuzmenko, Philip Peronik, and now at JT, and JT Miller. They feel like they have these six kind of foundational players. Then you also look at guys like Bovillier who played well, uh, Mikheyev in that kind of mix, they can fill out your, your top six. They still need a lot of help on the back end. But to Nathan's point, how many moves do you need to be the playoff team they are setting their sights on being next season? I would like to see one more player inject into that core of that you just mentioned. Like, right? like a legit, like a number, like the I, seventh player to that. Somebody who's greater I, than Mikheyev, a Bavillier. But I don't want the seventh. I want the third guy that pushes some guys down that list. Right. But if, somebody who's, yes. who's, who's a cut above. Yes. 
and then and then it's about finding roles, right? We talked about you need to get a left-handed D-man and right-handed D-man who can play the PK as your top unit. Philip Rona can play the PK. Quinn Hughes can play the PK. I'd prefer them to be situational penalty killers. Use them sparingly. Philip Rona will probably get more minutes than Quinn Hughes moving forward, but they need to find those two guys. And if one of them is the, the top seven players on the team, great. But they need to fulfill those roles too. We've mentioned this. Like This year is obviously a massive disappointment, and it's an indictment on some of these players. That's why we've had massive conversations. Patrick Alvin didn't blame injuries, didn't blame anything. He put it on himself. He says, it's on me. Okay? Didn't make any excuses about it. It's on him. So this year, massive disappointment. They're, they're betting on these guys too, though. But we've said it should be closer to – I understand this is not people's standards. They want higher standards. Mm-hmm. But this team should be closer to a playoff bubble team that can improve. Yes. They shouldn't be a 27th place team in the league. Oh, they shouldn't be that at all. I mean, w- w- this is a team that, at the very least, was kind of in that mushy middle, which isn't a positive. So you mm-hmm. got to get yourself above that. And honestly, like based on where you were beginning of the season and where you are now, I don't think you're ahead because what you did is essentially swap Horvat for uh, Horonic. That's two, two high-end players, mm-hmm. right? Top six centermen, top four defensemen. But it balances your team better because now you take a center and you get a defenseman. But you still need a third-line center in a massive, like a real checking third-line center that can be good on the PK. And you need a real defensive defenseman. And, hey, he can be a two-way defenseman, but he needs, they need to have somebody whose real strength is not only defending but also being an ace on the PK. And to me, when you talk about who can be the higher-end player, I'm almost looking at, can you find a guy that excels at that defensively? And if you can, then it puts the defense together. It's still going to be a hard road because mm-hmm. we're talking about like two significant additions, not to mention everything else you need. But to Nathan's point, if you want to be optimistic about it and, and paint a rosier picture about how it may all fall together, it's about two or three moves. Not easy ones, but you do that, then you could be that playoff team they're trying to be for next season. And, and the reason why you can surpass some of the other teams in that mushy middle, again, it's not a good spot to be in, okay? But you got to get you got to go so, through you got to go through them first. But, but look at some of the other teams in the mushy middle. And do they have some of the high-end talent the Vancouver Canucks have? Does St. Louis I I like some of the pieces in St. Louis. I like Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo is a good piece. But are they Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and Thatcher Demko? No. So they're stuck in the mushy middle. Philadelphia, they're kind of all over the place and rebuilding. Washington's at the tail end of a successful long period of prolonged high-end ability. Ovi's kind of at the end of it. Backstrom's at the end of it. Kuznetsov's mm-hmm. kind of at the end of it. Do they have a long runway here? The Vancouver Canucks can soar past some of these teams through the mushy middle if what we talked about earlier, that text from Raymond, Patterson, Hughes, Demko, all hit that superstar level. You get three players that are the top ten in their position, you should be screaming past these guys. Again, this season is a major flaw in their overall build. But those three guys should push you through that middle, and then you do keep doing that build, that brick-by-brick build adding more pieces into it. If you get another big one this year with the, with the draft lottery, if that person comes in, find another person, it, you should be about two away to really starting to push this forward. Well, and, and that's where it's at. I, I like Raymond's text here. The next core player will be this upcoming first-rounder. That's the hope. That's the hope. And, and, and that's where, if you're trying, you know, to Nathan's point, 
It's going to be a top 10 pick. Where in the top 10 it falls ultimately remains to be seen. If you get into that top 6 range, you're likely getting a difference maker who's going to play for your team within a couple of years. And by three years, be a big player. But then, like, might even play next season, depending on who it is. But in two years, is make an impact for you. And in that time, like, Ratu's got to make up some gap here, too. Yeah. If he fills a role in the next 18 to 24 months. That's a factor in here, too. If he becomes your your long-term three center, and I'm, I'm not just talking he meets a baseline, mm-hmm. okay, he's a third-line center. I mean an elite third-line center. Yes, high-end third-line center. Shutdown-style player who impacts games defensively. If that's a role he fulfills as a high-end third-line center, that's a big win. Yeah. If he becomes an overall jack-of-all-trades second-line center, that's a big win, obviously. You, you, once you get those superstars and they have three, you have to start filling in, okay, situational roles. And Raw 2, I'd be focused on the defensive game. Obviously, the skating needs to improve. But if, if he starts becoming a defensive ace... That fills a big need for the Vancouver Canucks down the middle. It is, and, and that's what they need. I mean, and, and I see somebody texting in. Somebody texts in here and says, um, like Bo, Bo says, Ronick will fit perfectly with a steady guy like OEL. Ronick did well with o- Oli Mata, and okay, like who knows what happens with OEL? There's a world he doesn't get bought out, and maybe you tr- test him out with Ronick, right? But even if you keep OEL, you're still short a penalty-killing defenseman, mm-hmm. specifically a lefty. You still need a righty as well. Like but a strong one. Strong one. They don't have one. So Because OEL have- can, can, can eat the minutes, but we've seen it be 65%. Yeah, honestly, and this is completely inefficient, right? But if you're not buying out OEL, I think your best bet, Bick, is to have him on your third pair and have him give him the sheltered minutes, him and somebody right. else, and then you find that defensive player for... Heronic to play with, and then you find and what what Quinn has shown, and I'm not even though Heronic has shown this this year is one year of it, so you can't say for sure he's going to be able to carry a blue line on on his own. And even a guy like Oli Matt is, it provides a far higher baseline pick than a lot of defensemen the Canucks have had and offered Quinn Hughes, despite being an imperfect defenseman. So we know Quinn, regardless of all that. He can play with a guy like Ethan Bear. Heck, he can play with a guy like Luke Shen, and he's going to be able to give you top four quality pairing minutes, and that pair is going to be able to carry play for the most part. Richard so you know that. that. Richard texting in. Brick Mack, Tanev, and Shen next year. Now, Tanev's not going to be an unrestricted free agent right. next year. Luke Shen obviously is. But like that mold of player with Chris Tanev would be uh, slide in quite well. Uh, on this team. Yeah. and, and that's going to be 35 when that deal ends. They need a younger player yeah. than that, right? Like long term. But that's how – that's how that's what the road roadmap looks like for me in terms of getting there. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650, 650. Uh, this one says, what about Kerford? Isn't he a center? What's his term? I heard his name in trade talks. He's a good offensive player. He's got a little – you know, he's not bad five on five overall too. But you need somebody who's an ace defensively. They don't have that. You know, if you want to look at balance, you also need to build a hockey team, Vic, that can actually consistently win and win in different areas of the game. The Canucks PK has been a bit better, but it's still a sore spot. Like, how are you going to be a team that's going to be competitive if your PK is going to consistently be in the bottom third of the league, bottom quarter of the league? That's where they've been the last couple of years. Dead last the last couple of years in totality with how they've played. They need real penalty killers. They need real defensive impact players. And that's not an Alex Kerfoot type. I don't think that really solves something for you if that's the guy you're bringing for your third-line center role. And I would say, too, you have to be careful about not overpaying of course. for penalty killing. We don't go, don't go sign Beagle to a three-year, four-year yeah. deal at $3 million per year. I, I've always looked at penalty kills similar to, like, bullpens. You, you obviously need them. You can't win in the playoffs without a solid bullpen and without a great penalty kill. 
but you can't build your team based on the bullpen. You can't build your team based on the penalty kill. You have to do it in institutionally inside, build the mentality, obviously, and find guys who can fill roles. And then as the season goes along, once you start filling in deficits, if you're a contending team, say, okay, who are some valuable PKers? So I, I want to see them address it. Just don't overpay for it. Don't overpay for, hey, we just need a guy who can win faceoffs on the penalty kill and extend yourself, like you talked about, on a Jay Beagle. This is why pro scouting is going to be such an important element this season. Can they go find another – it doesn't have to be league minimum, but like – they identified a Dakota Joshua, right? Well, and I, I don't mean as Dakota Joshua as a penalty killer, but can you do more of that this offseason and find guys at lower-level deals to play fourth-line roles to be penalty killers? What about Niels Oman and his progression? So tonight, at even strength, he played you know 9 minutes and 37 seconds, but when he was on the ice... Well, mostly good things happened. Now, a couple, of, you know, there, there was a, a little bit here and there, but he scored it was, a goal. He scored a goal, but I mean, like overall, defensively, it was pretty non-event. Like there's there's something there with him, and I'm not saying he's going to grow into be that your third line center. But if you're looking at internally next year, what can you get from Niels Oman in a more defensive role, maybe on the PK? We talk about Dakota Joshua. Oman had a goal tonight, and we're seeing ever since he got recalled, he's shown a bit more and more each game. And this is a guy the organization signed as a player who went unsigned um, by the Colorado Avalanche after being a late-round draft pick. And now he's come in here and he's showing that he can play almost every day for you in a fourth-line role. And since his recall, he's looked even stronger on the puck and a bit more, I'd say, determined to be in the spots he needs to be at. You know, he had a, he's had a strong game, and I'm curious to see, you know, where he fits into the equation next season. And I think we forget how young he is. Yes. I, I think there's always this assumption that, well, okay, came from overseas, Nils Alman, he's he's got to be like a an age 27 forward or something like that. No, he's... he's 22. He's 20. This is age 22 season. He just turned 23 uh, last month, less than a month ago. So, again, this is a guy who's getting his feet wet at the NHL, less than 50 games yeah. so far. Let's see him where he's at. 100 game mark, the 150 game mark. And, you know, we're talking in the first intermission about Joshua. Get him a consistent center. What kind of player will you see on the fourth line? Nils Oman could be that guy. He still got to go through his progression. Uh, Let's see him. I do want to see him at 120 games. And what do we really have here? Is are mm-hmm. we finding a consistent fourth line center? There's something there, obviously. It's been a fine for the Canucks. They had to send him down, work on his game a bit, bring him back. That's what we're talking about, finding solutions internally. If he can develop into a PKer, that's a that's a big one. Yeah, I mean, they need somebody to emerge there, and, and he's at least shown a little bit of something. Scored a goal tonight, helping the Canucks win 4-1 over the Leafs. A lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. We always welcome the jokes for 60. Brandon and Poco, the Canucks beat the Leafs. Pretty surprising that both teams switched jerseys before the game started. That's Brandon and Poco texting in. Uh, this text has come in a number of times. 29 minutes for Quinn Hughes. And yeah, I mean, the head coach mentioned you can't be playing your guys big minutes. And here is, you know, Quinn Hughes getting 29 minutes tonight. He's played 30 minutes before. The forwards, their minutes have kind of been spread out a bit more. I think that's also a bit of a testament to him trusting the bottom six a bit more. Like we mentioned, Niels Oman, him being out there a bit more and him not being afraid of putting him in certain situations. And, and even Sheldon Dries was able to play 13 minutes tonight. So Pe- Pedersen and Miller both were just over 20 minutes this evening. But it's probably not sustainable to keep Quinn Hughes out there for about 29 minutes a, a game. I know they build this one as a playoff game, so if that's the case, you're you're doing everything you can to win and, and live by that, I suppose. But with 20 games remaining on the season after tonight, uh, it's, it's probably not something that's going to bode well for the player. 
No, we talked about this the other day, too, the last time he played 30-plus minutes. Now, those were overtime efforts. Tonight is in all regulation. That Nashville-St. Louis, who's definitely playing too much. But then you saw some slippage. It's tough to play 30 minutes a night consistently at this level. So it comes with the next potential flaw, whether it be Nashville or Anaheim coming up, where the minutes start adding up and the game slips a little bit. I just don't know how much Rick Tockett's going to put out Noah Julshin, Kyle Burrows, Christian Willannon, Guillaume Brisebois, yeah. and say, hey, you guys are going to play 22 minutes a night. Do they need OEL back? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, Mike, Mike texted and said, where's poor Beer, Bear? Like, how badly hurt is Ethan Bear? I mean, they could use him back, too, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Like, Tyler Myers played just under 24 minutes a night. And just going through the box score here, Willannon's at 13.49. Brisebois is at 16.55. Noah Julson. 14.05, and then it's Kyle Burrows who gets 18 minutes. But those other three guys, uh, all below 17 minutes, and unless the game's a blowout, which it wasn't tonight, I just don't see Rick Tockett, while he's trying to build credibility as well with his players to say, hey, we do compete, this is yeah. what we do. It, as a coach and as an organization, you can't expect your players, you can't go to your players and say, we need you to get to the next level of your game, and then have a coach not try to play to get two points as well. You need to build that credibility from a coach to, to say to your players, we want this out of you, and this is what I'm going to do for you to try to get the best out of you. I, I just look at this, and given the state right now, they just don't have enough bodies that can eat enough minutes. As much as we can say OEL is struggling, he would play 20 minutes because there's a level of trust there. Yeah, and at the very least, it's like there, there is a level of – and this is the, the, the thing that – oftentimes gets forgotten. And as much as we've discussed OEL struggles and talked about buyouts being options and we criticize his play, it doesn't mean because he's struggled that anybody else can step in and play 23, 24 minutes a game and do it at the same level he's done it at. And you can say it's not a high level, but regardless, it's still a baseline you've got to cross, and it's not easy to do. I mean, that, that's why you don't... At one point, he got paid a lot of money. And yes, he's not the same player he once was, but there's still a baseline that he can provide that's far better than you know, most depth players can provide. The issue is, it's a role far too big for him. So he's underwater playing that role as well. But somebody else, a lesser player, would be even more underwater in that role. And that's kind of where you see the reason why the coach trusts a player like him and then doesn't have the same trust for guys like Willan and Prisbois. And, and, and there was good and bad to some of these players' game tonight. Like, well, Lannan had some high end, but also had a turnover that led to a William Nylander breakaway where Thatcher Demko's there to turn it away. So they can be good in 11, 12, 13 minutes. Yeah. Will they be good at 20 minutes? And if you get to 20, then you can, you can reduce Quinn Hughes' minutes. But are you going to be able to rely on that 20 minutes if you're giving it to a Lannan and Burroughs and Juleson? And that's a huge part of it. This text unsigned. Let's see what Hughes' minutes are after Heronic arrives. And that's another good point. We'll see ultimately when he gets into the lineup. Expected to join uh, be in Vancouver on Monday. So uh, we'll hear from the new Canuck in person when he's here on Monday. And, and we'll see ultimately how far he is, how far away he is from getting back into the lineup and wearing his the Canuck sweater for the first time. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. We'll get back to more of your text messages, and we'll keep talking as the show goes on here. But we are going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett on the other side. It's Satyar Shaw, Bick Nazar. Canucks win 4-1 over the Toronto Maple Leafs. The head coach is next on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post-game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Gets it to center for Miller. Two on one for the Canucks. JT Miller in front to Pedersen. Geeks to the forehead. He scores! Short-handed goal by Elias Pedersen re-establishes the Vancouver lead. It's 2-1. Canucks go on to win 4-1, beating the Leafs here on Saturday afternoon at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nizar. Uh, keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We'll get to more of your thoughts as the show goes on here. Uh, we are going to head hear from head coach Rick Tockett coming up in just a moment's time. But Bick, before we do that, the Vancouver Canucks, well, they put out on their Twitter page that Quinn Hughes has just made NHL history. Yeah, with two assists tonight, Quinn Hughes became the fastest D-man in NHL history to reach 200 career assists in 263 games played, beating Brian Leach, who reached it in 264 games played. It's uh, very impressive, very impressive by Quinn Hughes. He is now up to 224 points for his career in 263 games. And he has 59 points in 58 games this season. 54 of those are assists. He's a point-per-game player on the back end. And if you look at a team that's been bleeding goals this year, a traditional stat that we oftentimes say is overrated, but in a year like this for the Canucks, I'd say it's actually... Uh, it's well-rated, it should be taken at least with some level of seriousness, is plus-minus. And he's a plus-12 on a team that barely has any plus players that play meaningful roles for this squad, outside of guys like Kuzmenko, Elias Patterson, and so on. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and we know this was a point of contention from him, right, a couple of years ago when it really struggled. And we we sat and we wondered and thought, is Quinn Hughes going to be a really effective offensive D-man, but never really rounds out the defensive side of his game. That was a real question. And coming to the season, he knew dash 24 was not good enough. Yeah. And so now, last year, plus 10. This year, plus 12. Plus 12. And and you know what? It's, he's, he's wiped out that bad year, and he's, he's going to, at some point, round the corner for his career and be on the plus margin. It's not that far. He'll be plus. Tw- he'll be minus twelve after tonight. And in a really bad environment this year overall with the team, like you couldn't avoid to be a minus player in many circumstances on the squad this year. But him and Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Luke Shen was traded. These guys are plus players. Not a lot of them are. Can I just read some of these names that he's beat? Yeah. In the first two hundred sixty-three games. Yeah. Again, it's all time. But right, right behind him is Leach, Zubov, Orr, Suter, Adam Fox, Al McKinnis, Potvin. Pretty good list. Dave Babich. Ten. Dave Babich. Ten. Babbage was, man, I love watching Dave Babbage back in the day. You talk about big mm-hmm. physical defenseman that could move the puck and had a lot of offense in his game. Man, Babbage was a beauty back in the day. Man, people forget how good and dominant he was, especially back with the Hartford Whalers uh, back in the day. All so right. how many games left this year? Uh, there's 20 games remaining. All right, I, I, I'm going to run a search for the top 283 games. Here. All right, awesome. I look forward to seeing that, hearing that from Bick. And keep your thoughts coming in. Paul from... Portland on Twitter says, everyone was bagging on talking for saying this is a playoff game. Turns out the easiest way to beat the Leafs is to say the word playoffs. And talk is playing chess while we all play checkers, as Paul from Portland. We'll just uh, say that before it. every game. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Coming up, Shorthouse says, let's smell what the talk is cooking. Well, all right, let's get to head coach Rick Talkett by popular demand from our listeners. And here he is after a 4-1 victory over the Leafs. Yeah, I played really hard. Uh, they really responded after the first Obviously, Toronto's a great team. They came out flying, and uh, I just love the second and third, the way we responded. 
what did it do for Myers to set the tone like that with the hit on Tavares? Love that stuff. That's, uh, you know, you know, Luke went out and he banged a couple of our guys and we came right back, and that's, that's what te- good teams do, and that's becoming a team. For a penalty kill that's been in the spotlight so much this year, how do you th- rewarding do you think it is for those guys to score two big goals in the third period? Well, I think, like, honestly, the last two weeks we've been coming. You know, we've... Uh, Unfortunately, we let one there at the end, uh, the one power play. But um, I thought the PDK has been really good the last two weeks, and PD and Millsy, another one. I think that's they had one a while ago too, right? So they got uh, three short air goals in the last week or two. So that, yeah, it's nice to see those two guys. That's high end level plays there, that they did. You talked before the game about this being like a playoff game yeah. for you guys. The players talked about this being like a playoff atmosphere. Was it important to kind of set that tone to treat this game that way? Yeah, that's why I'm proud of them because it's not just play out 20 games and let's wait for next year. It's these are these are important games. You know, we have to. You know, we, every day we come in, we're trying to become a team that we want to be, and um, you know, we can't waste practices, you can't waste games. So, it's good to get guys like Kratzoff and Pod Colson and you know these young guys in these kind of atmospheres because um, you know then. You give them a lot of reps in this, and then it becomes—it's you know, never easy. These are hard games, but it comes a little, the game slows down for them. So that's what I'm more proud of: is getting these young guys in these type of—you know—it was a fast game. Like, Toronto's a fast, they're a good team. You have, to, you have to be ready to play. How about the atmosphere in the building? Yeah, I love the uh, the Canucks fans. <laughs> <laughs> they drowned out the Leafs fans. What do you think of uh, Demko? He's terrific. I mean, I mean, he's just been so solid. Worked hard the last six weeks. Um, like I say, he swallows pucks. He's, he's big out there. Um, yeah, I've, I mean, I, like he's been, you know, every game since I've been here, he's been unreal. Rick, how did the fight your group show tonight compared to the other games you've seen? Well, I, it's, it's more for me. It's just uh, you chip away at certain things. You know, you take a step forward and then one game you'll step two, you know, two steps back. What I like about the team is is – when we make a mistake, we don't make that second and third one. That's been kind of a theme I've seen this for this team. Um, we made a mistake tonight, and everybody hung in there. Like, it's okay to make a mistake. We don't sell the farm. You know, we don't have three other guys sliding all over the place. And I felt tonight was what we're looking for, um, is, is to be able to hang in there, you know, if, if you do make a mistake. What does that kind of response that they showed do for you mm-hmm. going through the last 20 games here? Well, I mean, listen. It's hard to it's it's hard to win, right? And um, the next step is to hey, enjoy this game, but come back to practice the next day um, and do it again. That's the hard part. You can, you know you can't do it every one every eight games. You got to do it every game, and that's the hard part. You're still new to the organization. Uh, did the atmosphere in the building surprise you at all <clears throat> with yeah, non conference rivalry like this? Yeah, some of the people warned me that there's going to be a lot of Leaf fans. I, I didn't know it was that many. <laughs> But I'm kind of used to it was when I was in Arizona. There's a lot of visiting fans out there too, so I'm used to that stuff. Another tip goal for Kuzmenko is: Can you compare the skill he's shown at tipping goals to anybody you've <clears throat> seen before? Yeah, his high hand, high uh, hand-eye coordination is outstanding. I mean, that's. I mean, I played against the Newendikes and you know guys like that. They were so good, Holstroms, and he's got that knack of of tipping those pucks. They're hard. They're they're hard to, to stop for goalies. Um, and I think six games in a row, you've given Hughes big minutes. Yeah. Are you just coming to the conclusion that he's just a guy that needs to play a lot? Well, I think it's also, uh, you know, a little personnel in the sense, you know, uh, 
I think when Hironic gets in here, we get some, you know, we we, we get strength in our D. I, you know, uh, I think we have to lessen the minutes. But, um, you know, he's he wants it too. I mean, he looks back at uh, footy all the time. He wants to be out there. Uh, but you know, we, I thought the, the whole decor really supplied what we needed. They, they really hung in there tonight. You know, obviously, Mizey's setting the pace for us. Along those lines, like, Thatcher looks like he's in mid-season form, and obviously he missed 35 games. Yeah. Do you guys have a plan for yeah. sort of his workload the rest Absolutely. of the Absolutely, yeah. You know, obviously we want, you know, he wants to play by reps, but, you know, we're going to manage his game too. I mean, I'm not playing him every game. You know, we're going we're gonna to get some other guys in there, and he's going to get his rest for sure. I mean, definitely he's not, you know, we're not going to overplay this guy. You've talked about wanting to keep your kind of star forwards minutes limited, shorthanded. But when you have guys like Pedersen and Miller showing what they can yeah. do on the penalty kill, does that change your mind in any way? Well, I, I, since I, I've just led them. You know, I, I always put them out there first, and then I come back with the other guys. The other guys have a nice job. Um, I don't know what the, guy, the, the guys played tonight minutes-wise, Millsy, but, you know, Millsy's matched up against uh, Matthews tonight, and I thought they did a pretty good job there in the second and third. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be some games they play 24, 23 minutes, but, you know, obviously I don't want them playing that kind of minutes. And we got to find some PK guys. Um, but I thought Alms and uh, Dakota did a nice job too. PK. Good to Sebi comes back. Well, yeah. Mavis heard you put him right back in the top six. How impressed were you with his game tonight, particularly mm-hmm. the play that led to the four-one goal? Yeah, he's a north-south guy. <clears throat> you know, he's a bigger guy. We need some of those guys. You know, in our in our lineup. You know, uh, you know, you know, he knows. He's a predictable guy. You know, he's going to be first on the forecheck. He's going to win wall battles. You got to have those guys in your lineup. So uh, that's why I put him in there. The rush, defending the rush, has really bit this team all season. Yeah. Was this the best game since you've come in terms of limiting those chances? There was the Nylander breakaway, but not a, it was pretty clean otherwise. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, there's been moments this last month where I've really liked our rush coverage, and there's been moments, obviously, we kind of had some bad habits. But, yeah, um, I, I think that was the pregame, you know, the, the Toronto's one of the best rush teams, and to, to put that performance in it, it really, it should make the guys understand if we do the proper thing, the proper reads, you know, you can be successful. One thing that's happened in the past is when this team has been more defensively solid, like at the start of last season, um, five-on-five offense became tough to come by. Is it mm-hmm. is it difficult to improve your rush defense, tighten up, get some of that better structure you're talking about without sacrificing the offensive pop that this club can have? No. Um, you know, you have to be a – you have to defend the puck hard and you got to be a tracking team. Today's – if you want to be a successful team, you have to track well. And if you – that means you get the puck. You know, um, you know, you can't we, – you know, we get in a situation where we lose F3 and it's three on two, four on twos, and we can't get in, the, you know, that type of game. Um, that's why – I've really preached the rush coverage and, and tracking. I thought our tracking was outstanding. Tonight. Even the, 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 game, the game against Minnesota, I thought a lot of guys tracked very well, to be honest with you. Could you explain tracking for the... Oh, sorry. Well, just, <laughs> just uh, back check. It's back checking, old-fashioned back checking. We call it tracking. Um, so that, you know, you track, the D can stay up. If you don't track and you don't back check, then the D have to... That's when you see the D kind of... They're almost in front of our goalie, you know. So that, that's why it's important, and you have to be in shape, and you got to practice hard. That's it's the hardest thing to do is be a back checking team. Rick, you talked about this kind of being like an extended training camp for yeah. a lot of people in the organization. Say that with the trade deadline mm-hmm. behind you, 
how good is this? This is kind of like a first step towards the rest of the season after a game like tonight. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's like another brick, right? We're trying to build that foundation in the process. It's another brick in there, you know, um, and you just hopefully keep those, you know, inching ahead, you know, and uh, not taking two steps back. And that is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 4-1 victory over the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, you, could, you could hear him beaming over that Tyler Myers hit, saying he loves that stuff and was proud of his boys uh, tonight, saying they, all, they played a strong game and, and really at the end uh, discussed the tracking element, which is essentially back-checking. And this is something we've talked about a lot. Like we, it's a, a microcosm of it is a discussion we've had ever since Elias Patterson came to the National Hockey League. He's a player who has a two-way conscience, and a lot of his offense gets created by being good defensively. It all goes hand-in-hand. Hand. If you win battles and you get the puck and you're in the right spot defensively and you hit teams and you catch them, you're going to create chances in transition, odd-man opportunities, and you're able to kind of put teams on their heels because you win the puck in your defensive zone and then you go out the other way. Same thing for your overall team play. If you play strong as a squad and you're able to defend as a team, but you're able to win puck battles, that's going to lead to offense going the other way as well. I think sometimes we overthink the, um, oh, is this team going to get dumb it down? No, at the end of the day, it's about winning the puck. And guess what? If you win the puck more than the other team and have it, you're going to create more. They're not trying to win the puck just so that they can dump it back and try to win the puck again. They're trying to win the puck so they can go create offense. Yes. And that's why the foundation of what your team is going to be has to be defense. I'm not saying that they have to be an identity as defense. But if your foundation is broken, I don't care about the glitz and glamour of what the rest of it looks like. They don't want to play 6-5 games all the time. And I've I've been known as a defensive guy, Sat, and I've used the reference of... Oh, you, you should have seen Bick, how excited he was. After when, the first <laughs> after the first 15 minutes, it was like one one shot, and he was he's like, this is a great hockey game. He was so <laughs> excited. I've never seen somebody be so excited for a 0-0, 1-1 shot hockey game. There were two shots on goal through 10 minutes, and Bick had never been more excited about watching but, this hockey game. But I game. use the analogy of, hey, you can do the nice home reno <laughs> and have the nice kitchen, make do the tour, bring everyone in, but you know what's still going to happen when you go to sell it? Home inspector's going to come in and look in the foundation and tell people, don't buy this house. Yes. The foundation that nobody looks at has to be nice, has to be concrete, has to be solid. Exactly. And, and that's where you have to get to if you want to do all the other fun stuff. And, and you know what? And, and part of it is an indictment. that The Canucks, for a team that has a core, we're, we're, we're breaking it down to the very basic foundation of how to play hockey just so we can build it back up again. It's essentially breaking somebody down to the beginning and building building back up. That's, that's an indictment on where the season's gone and, and how lost this core has gotten from where they've needed to be. And and that's why I see Burray's flow on Twitter and, and others texting in and saying, what what is Talkit talking about when saying these are important games? They're not important in terms of wins or losses as far as the standings go. They don't matter. We all know organizationally what they matter. One thing that everybody has to also remember Coaches are trying to win and instill habits and instill standards, and they're doing things every game with the approach of trying to win the game, but also establishing something for their team. So that's why he's saying these are important. He doesn't want anybody to feel like these games don't matter and that we're just trying to get to the end of the season and we'll pick it up next year. He's a new coach. He didn't have training camp. He's trying to instill things on the fly. He essentially said this is an extended preseason, but based on it, this one was more of a playoff-type game. He's setting up markers and trying to get the guys to play a certain style of hockey. That's why he say, says this is important. And I know a lot of fans get frustrated by that because they look at it and say, I want Connor Bedard. And I totally get it. I understand. But it's just not a world the head coach is trying to operate and live in. 
And you can understand why he's doing the things he's doing, even if it goes against your want for a higher draft pick. If you dumb down the problems and try to make them too simple and you give people reasons not to try, they're not going to try. And that's the thing. Hey, we say accountability, right? You have to have accountability of all times. You can't just be like, hey, games don't matter anymore. You know, and that's just the reality. Have selective competing. Yeah, and I get it, man. Like we're sitting here and talking about a high draft pick. I like nothing better than see this Canucks organization win the lottery and draft Connor Bedard this season. Uh, a lot of those texts coming in. And, and just really quickly, just on the idea of that tracking stuff. Yeah. Remember when we talked about Boston that mm-hmm. game? Yeah. And there were certain shifts where. Patrice Bergeron. It, it just felt like they cut the ice in half, even though they weren't close to the puck, and they just constantly were hustling back, taking the right angles. I imagine that's a teaching tape for them. Like, hey, three games ago, four games ago, this is what we're trying to do. And if you're trying to build that credibility of this is how we start doing this and finding coaching points, this is a game Rick Tock will probably show back to his players and say, this is what we want all the time. It, it's so interesting because certain parts of defending, you want to keep a good gap and not, you know, and have an ability. But certain parts of defending, especially in transition, it's not so much about you hunting the puck carrier. It's about taking away options for the puck carrier. And that's one of the smaller things sometimes that teams don't get right, and it leads to so many breakdowns. It leads to so many seams and gaps opening up. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. And the Canucks did a better job of doing that tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, a player who's... I've been inundated with rumors ever since being acquired by the organization. JT Miller, and hey, hey signing a, a seven-year, $56 million contract extension did nothing to stop the noise throughout this season. Trade deadline came and went, but a lot of rumors around JT Miller, and he scored a goal tonight. Terrific performance from him. Fired up him and Pedersen. Strong game and setting each other up for shorthanded goals, especially uh, Miller finding Pedersen for the one to take the lead initially. And here is JT Miller post game talking about how, uh, how he might be relieved now that the trade deadline has come and gone. Yeah, it means a lot, especially, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. I think what's another note to get past the deadline kind of feels good. Um, kind of what I talked about a reset when Rick got here, and then the deadline was the next obstacle. But I think the last couple of weeks here, you know, we've been really building towards an identity. And I think a game like that kind of showcased a lot of it, which, is, you know, feels good to be a team like that. There's been so much talk about the struggles of the penalty kill this year. How nice does it feel for that to be the difference maker in the win tonight? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard to believe probably when we're in the 60th, but... I feel like we're penalty kills. We're getting closer. Like we, we, we do a lot of good. It seemed to find a way to give one up like on a lot of nights, and that's just a, you got to find a way to kill the full two, but I feel like we have guys that are willing to kill the right way. It's just a matter of getting the extra 15, 20 seconds out of it that, to keep them out of our net. But tonight was a, uh, it's a big night. They got a really dangerous power play, and they uh, ad-lib really well to what we have. So, um, you know, Denver was a big part of that tonight, but we did a pretty good job. You got around Matthews on that goal. What did you see? Uh, honestly, I, I just tried to get my leg out to protect the puck and shoot it quickly. I wasn't necessarily like aiming. I was just aiming that side, and I think it, the shot wasn't very hard. It just kind of caught him off guard a little bit. So, uh, um, obviously, it's nice to see him go. Last Saturday against Boston, <coughs> tonight against Toronto, they had strong first periods. But then over the final 40, I mean, what has that sort of said about this group's ability to, to dig in and play evenly against those types of teams? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've had played against some good teams, you know, even after the break going out out east and playing those guys and coming back and playing some good teams like you know we don't have a you know a quit button in this group that's for sure it's been a hard year for a lot of guys and um you know i think since rick scott here like one of the positive parts has been we've gotten stronger as games gone on no matter what the score may be but uh you know it says a lot about the group you know i think we're starting to understand you know what the identity is we're not there yet but i think what's that's the whole purpose is try to come up with an identity as a team of what we are and we've got a lot of guys buying in right now and we're a hard team to play against you know no matter what part of the year it was this year. 
you ever been involved in a PK where you scored twice in a minute? Uh, yeah. Maybe in New York, we had some offensive penalty killers there. Uh, we had a couple good looks, but uh, not that quickly, no. What, what's your reaction? Just a ton of fun to do that with Petey? Yeah, I was pretty pumped, actually. I haven't celebrated in a long time, so I uh, <laughs> kind of lost my mind in disbelief. I actually kind of thought I was offsides. I'm not sure how close it was, so I, uh, it's nice that it went in, but uh, it's nice to see Petey get that pumped up as well. Do you think this was the hardest top to bottom your group has competed in the game? Yeah, I, I just think the, it was a mindset type of game today for us. Like, Hockey Night in Canada against the Leafs, you know, lots of respect for them, but you hate playing the Leafs. Like, you, you love playing the Leafs, like, however you want to look at that. But it's like a, it's always like a rivalry type game, even in the other conference. Like, we really look forward to that game like that. And when they bring a lot of fans, and I think that the tone of the game was set with all the hits. Even Schenner in the first second of the game, like, I mean, fully expect that's coming, but, like, that kind of set the tone, and then Mizey, and then Dak, and then guys are running around. I mean, it just felt like a playoff game. It was, I mean, low scoring too for the most part. Like, those are fun games and it's nice to come out on the right side of it. And he tags you on the power play there. You guys, uh, well, I was trying my best to get him. I just, when we're that close to the boards, he uses his leverage and I got no chance. But uh, we've had a lot of those in practice, so I definitely was looking for an opportunity to get him. It just didn't really happen. You referenced the trade deadline right off the top here. It's come and gone, but he's still in this room that's in this room. Mm-hmm. It's just nice to know that the volume will go down for a little while at least. Yeah, if you guys will make it go down, it would be great. Uh, we're just going to keep doing our thing here. You know, we, I said all the time we got a job to do, and I think for the most part we've done a good job in here and um, of kind of staying the course and staying focused. I know we have probably a stressful time for some players, but at the same time, you know, we came in ready to play. It looked like we were bothered by nothing today, but obviously it was like a breath of relief today. You could tell in our game, I think. No one likes to miss games. You miss the game in Dallas. How weird has your week been? It hasn't been that weird. I uh, was not sitting out to get traded. Uh, it was just playing, I, you know, that happens. I haven't missed a whole lot due to injury in my career. It felt weird. I really wanted to play, but I think, you know, to travel that all that way for a game probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then uh, might have pushed a little early to come back and play last game. But, you know, I'm glad I did. And I definitely want to be ready for this game. I didn't want to miss this game for sure. Everything's feeling fine health-wise now. All good. Uh, that is Canucks forward JT Miller after the game and uh, says it'd be nice if everyone could quiet down the trade talk and happily trade deadlines come and gone and uh, shed some light on his injury saying he probably shouldn't have returned as quickly as he did but he kind of had this game circled you know and I can't fault players for wanting to play he says hates playing the Leafs and loves playing the Leafs it's a yeah. love hate thing it's a love hate thing in line between yeah. love and hate it's one of those things where it's not easy playing the Leafs or a mm-hmm. tough team to play against, but those are the types of challenges you want, right? And, and that's marquee team, marquee moment, Hockey Night in Canada. You rise to, they know that's national TV. And the thing about – when I hear that, that's a mindset in general that I like because you have to have some level of like – if I don't bring my A game tonight, it's going to be embarrassing. So it's tough. Like You can't take a shift And off. he's been roasted on the Hockey Night in Canada yes, this year. Yes, exactly. There's been back shifts where they've – the panels and – Hey, this guy's not checking you're under, back. Yeah, you're under focus. He's right? not tracking. Yeah, you're not tracking. You got tracked better, uh, like the head coach mentioned. But yeah, I mean, there's pressure that if you don't bring your A game, you're gonna get embarrassed, and you know it's tough. You got to play hard, and the Canucks did a good job of winning this game here tonight. And you know, on JT's play in general, it's been obviously a lot better since Taka took over, and he's kind of normal. He's kind of stabilized himself defensively as well playing down the middle which I think has been a welcome sight but there's still a lot more he can do and a lot more he can kind of accomplish in order to get a become an even better two-way player but taking some good steps forward in that direction we'll talk more about that we'll hear from Elias Patterson plus Ian McIntyre returns to the post-game show and we'll get to more of your thoughts on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox it's Satyar Shaw, Bick Nazar on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network
Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, Leafs are a great team. Uh, a lot of new players uh, to add up their team. But I uh, want to focus on us and, um, and battle the whole night. And I first was a little, a little off after... When the second period started, I think we played really good. That is Elias Pettersson. Have the scoring a goal tonight, helping the Canucks win 4-1 over the Leafs here at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We are going to play the Elias Pettersson media availability in its entirety coming up uh, in just a few minutes' time. A lot of the reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Torgi says, how do people not understand that? We're trying to build a team in terms of how the head coach wants the guys to play harder. And he also says, pretty cool stat for Hughes. Fastest defenseman in history to 200 apples. That's from Torgi. And Bick, uh, we mentioned that Canucks tweeted out the stat that Quinn Hughes became the fastest defenseman in NHL history to reach 200 assists. And you looked into that number and a bit more. What do you have to share with us? So if Quinn Hughes plays the rest of the season, ends up with 283 games played. So here's who's in front of him in the first 283 games of a player's career for assists. Sergei Zubov at 202, Gary Suter at 207, Bobby Orr at 217, and Brian Leach at 225. So if he can get 25 assists in the next at the end of the season, he's going to top it. And then we can also go in the first five seasons of a player's career, who's got the most assists per game? There's only three players in front of Quinn Hughes: Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, Brian Leach. It's not bad. That's it. Pretty good company. I mean, it's a remarkable season uh, Quinn Hughes is putting together. I mean, you're talking about him being right there with Hall of Famers, all-time numbers. I mean, it's it's, like, it's again, extraordinary. Assists per game in the, their first five seasons of their career. Bobby Orr at .85 assists per game. Paul Coffey, .81. Brian Leach, .81. And Quinn Hughes, .76. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is incredible uh, what Quinn Hughes has been doing on the back end. Uh, and... Philip Hironik, I know there's a lot of reaction uh, to his addition to the roster, and we'll see on Monday how close he is to playing. He didn't really have an update on his injury status. We'll find out a bit more as he comes to Vancouver this week. And he did, however, say he's going to play at some point in the season. So we'll start maybe seeing what the blue line looks like with Hironik and Quinn Hughes and whether they try having those guys on the same pair or try to have them anchoring separate D pairs. For this season, I wouldn't mind seeing them together. I think you stress stuff out. Why not? This is like audition territory. Let's just test things. If it works, fantastic. It's something that you, you find a mm-hmm. break glass in case of emergency next year. Next year, I think it probably makes sense to start makes sense to start them separately, pending what moves you do. But for this year, see what the upside looks like. Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, why not? You can test stuff out, especially if he's only playing, you know, He's not going to play all 20 games remaining, it's clear, but how many of those we'll ultimately find out. It is experimental time here for the organization. Uh, this text says, I feel like we've had these same positive post-game show talks in the last two years at this point in the season. How can we keep believing that this team won't revert back to being awful at the start of next season after playing themselves out of a top-five draft pick? It's like Groundhog Day every year with this team. And I understand that sentiment because the frustrating part is, and nobody, I mean, and, and fans like that understand. They're like, hey, teams are going to try to win. They're going to work hard. We understand. 
can. But what's the upside of this? Because we've seen this before, and we we try to talk ourselves into the team figuring stuff out and, and taking a step and then only fall flat. And in the meantime, you didn't end up getting that high draft pick you wanted. It'll still be a top 10 pick, but maybe not quite as good as you hoped it'd be. So what's the point? That's a fair concern. Yeah. I mean, when you've seen the same thing happen again, of course, you're going to be like, this is insane, and this is the definition of insanity. It's going to keep happening again. It'll be the same failed type of plan. So I get it from that standpoint of it. The one thing that's always been lacking with this team, unless you're talking about that bubble year in the postseason, they haven't had structure. Like, go back to Travis Green's last year as head coach. What was all the talk about coming in from the North Division year? It was about, yeah, you got to play better defensively. you got to build up that structure and be better. And it all fell apart. Last year, even though Boudreaux came in and they played a lot better, their structure didn't improve in terms of their positioning and how to play you know, boring hockey if need be at times, like they have uh, at times under Rick Tockett, at least showing some signs of it. That's where their issue is. So I can understand why this time it could be perceived as being different. But the overall point stands. None of us are going to know anything until next season. Like yeah. This is all like, hey, we can talk about it. And, and all, all we can do, Big, is evaluate the games we have, talk about the big picture as we know it, and see how it all fits in and, and evaluate and, and analyze. That's all we can do. But in terms of buying into it and saying, oh, they figured it out, next year they're going to take a step forward, it's very much coming with an asterisk in terms of your level of confidence of them being able to carry this over into next season. Very, it's prove it time. Like, I'm not giving you the benefit of doubt. you got to prove it to me next year. Very valid concern. And this is why we're going to say things like, start of the season really matters. Yes. And they have to, once again, prove that they can play a, a game like this on game one. That's what they have to do. They have to replicate tonight's game on game one. You got to bring that intensity immediately because if you haven't learned the lesson of the first 10 games, can blow your season. It's, 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 it's I, three I years in a row. It's I three, literally happened three years in a row. do not know what to tell you. Yeah. And for the people that are concerned, be like, well, they keep doing the same thing. Again, you're right. They've done the same thing. It's just one of those things that's like we can't – Accelerate till October yeah. to say, "Hey, now it's ready to, to to judge them upon that." New coach saying all the right things, preaching all the right things. Behind the scenes work feels like it's, you know, improving. Because if it's improving on the ice, it means it's improving off the ice. Your habits getting better. All that sort of stuff is going to come to fruition come training camp. And if it looks more serious in training camp, that'll be the first tell. Because we came into this year. And there was a lot of concerns. And even, you know, I was trying to downplay it and say, look, I can wait till game one to really start to harp on these things because it's when real points matter. But, like, there was a lot of alarm bells ringing even in training camp. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we didn't give these guys much benefit of doubt this year because they hadn't earned it. And when they fell flat after saying all the right things coming into training camp, they deserve to get roasted for it. And they deserve to f- feel the consequences for it, right? And I totally understand the frustration with it. They've done better under the new head coach. But, yeah, prove it next season. That's where it really lies. You know, w- when things matter, when the chips really matter, how do you react? Because this group has reacted well when the pressure's been off outside of that bubble year. And that bubble year is is farther and farther away with a far different cast of characters that you can't even really cite anymore when you're looking at this core. So that's kind of where this team is trending towards. Now with a new core, slightly new core, and we'll see if it changes even more in the offseason. But in the meantime, uh, we'll see how the Canucks fare for the rest of the year. Have another game coming up on Monday. But before we get to Ian McIntyre, you heard a bit of Elias Patterson scored a goal tonight and also had a helper for two points on the evening. And here he is talking about how the team performed beating the Leafs 4-1. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, Leafs are a great team. Um, a lot of new players. 
and to add to their team. But um, wanted to focus on us and, um, and battle the whole night. And I first was a little, a little off, but after when the second period started, I think we played really good. About the atmosphere in the building, it was uh, it was awesome. Um, obviously. <laughs> They got a big fan base. <coughs> fan base. They got fans everywhere. So, um, but uh, Canucks fans were loud today, and uh, happy we we got the win for them. We talked so much about the penalty kill this season. How did it feel to get back-to-back shorthanded goals? Yeah, it felt great. Um, obviously, we talk about killing their their play first. Uh, but yeah, like we or happy we got two two quick goals there on the PK. Earlier in the season, Toronto scores that goal, tied at one, and this team sometimes kind of faded away. What about the response to answer that goal? Yeah, we're, we talk about just sticking with it. Uh, don't let uh, previous plays um, affect us. Um, so, um, but I think PK lately has been good. Obviously, we always want to f- be better, but it's definitely trending in the right direction. I think from everyone, yes, or it's definitely up there. We talked a lot about recreate that. How do you sustain that over multiple games? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess just everyone's got to. Um, I don't know, dig deep in, within itself, or um, some guys gotta, I don't know, lay a hit or fight to get get the team going. But uh, if we play like that, we're uh, we've got a good chance to win games. What do you think of Tyler's hit on Tavares to get the team going? Yeah, the, <laughs> I mean that's definitely sparked the whole game. Uh, for it to be physical, uh, I think Shannon laid a uh, hit after 10 seconds too. So uh, not surprised, but it's uh, it's fun. It's the game within the game. We've talked a lot about Thatcher since he returned, but just how impressed were you with his performance tonight? Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he kept us in the game the whole game. Um, but that's Thatcher. Uh, I'm used to seeing that, and uh, it's good to see him uh, first to have him back and to see him uh, like himself again. How much does it change the way you guys play when you can be confident with him behind you there? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're we're confident with with all goalies. Uh, but uh, obviously Thatcher, we know how well he can, how well he can play, and he showed it again today. Is why our team is not generating as much off the rush, or at least tonight anyway. Why, why did they struggle to generate off the rush against your team? Because we've seen that be sort of a, an issue in games of the season, whether or not you've given up goals. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's something we, we discussed, uh, and. Uh, just to like read where the puck is, read uh, if our first forward back is going to be able to to track the the guy who has the puck. But um, yeah, I think we, we did did a good job in, in that aspect. And you're off. Oh, you you you, you waited. You know what? Try you go. Okay. <laughs> when you're on the penalty kill, you're obviously worrying about defense a ton. Yeah. How exciting is it to actually score a penalty? It's a goal a, it's a. Uh, it's a great feeling, uh, especially how tight the game was. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, the score tonight was uh, on the top wood.
And that is Canucks forward Elias Pettersson. Two-point performance, his seventh shorthanded goal. And like our friend Dan Richo mentioned on Twitter, that leads the National Hockey League in shorthanded goals and talked about how much he enjoyed sh- scoring shorthanded. And, uh, you know, in terms of his overall play, I thought he was kind of quiet for the first half of the game and really came alive in the second and in the third. And it's almost like when the game mattered more, he kind of grew into the, to it a bit more. And we kind of discussed that under Tockett, this team hasn't been a sh- high shot volume team. It's been more about limiting scoring chances and creating scoring chances. And that was the impressive part about this game here tonight because even though they got outshot volume-wise or out-attempted to at even strength, they ended up having twice the amount of high-danger scoring chances than at least it. And Elias Patterson only had a- about 38% of the shot share, but he was 5-1 to one when it came to high-danger scoring chance differential. So... He was having a positive impact on the game. If you're creating more than you're giving up, it doesn't matter. Shots don't matter. It's more quality. And quality was very much in Elias Patterson's side tonight. And that was an impressive feat against this tough Leafs opponent. That's the thing, right? It's okay to give up the outside stuff. The puck's going to be in your zone. It's going to happen. Where do you push them to? Mm -hmm. Where do you give up the area that you want them to shoot from? And how does that relate to your goaltender? What chances is he going to see? If I have no problem you giving up 17 shots if they're from the wall. And Don't care. And you create one great one, right? But tonight, he played a quiet game, but it was also quiet in his own end. That's the point we are making earlier. So win in your own zone, mm-hmm. and then go have fun in offense. And you, you just see how quickly they were able to get up the ice on those plays. Like, Miller was bursting through that play, and Riley had to back up, and not only did he force Riley to back up, he didn't really allow Morgan Riley to get to the right spot because of right. how fast he was playing. So Riley couldn't play the midpoint between Miller and Pedersen. He kind of just had to go towards Miller, and he opens up the seam to get it. But then also, like he makes such a smart play even on the Miller goal because yeah. that's a hard rim. That's a really hard rim, and yeah. it just it, it just, just bypasses. That off. Yeah, yeah, it just bypasses so many players, and he's hustling to the wall to get there. And hits that exit hard on Miller. Yeah. And it, it's it's all set up by the work Elias Pedersen does to get to that wall mm-hmm. to pick up that pass. And then Miller just kind of goes glove side, no big deal, 3-1. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it, they, they go away. But win in the defensive zone and then find your opportunities in the offensive zone. It's a patient game, right? If you're if you're not creating, don't force it. Just wait, wait, wait. If you keep winning on your end. And you'll get chances. Those chances will arrive. And high and what do high quality players do take advantage of chances, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of the patient game that you need to play in. And the maturity's always been there from Elias Pettersson and on full display tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh let's get to some text messages before we get to head coach. Uh, sorry, head coach Ian McIntyre. Is he our head coach? Yeah. We're going to get our Ian. Coach. He's our coach, Ian McIntyre. This one says, next season, I don't want to hear that the preseason doesn't matter. We all saw that mindset, what that mindset caused. Preseason should be treated with the same standard as a regular season. And this one says, training camp was also on management because of all the renovations and forced Bruce to keep moving the team and not getting settled. Um, and coming up, Shorthouse, Bill Murray was apparently stuck in Groundhog in the Groundhog Day loop for 30,000 years. Do you think it will be over, over or under 30,000 years before the Canucks win the Cup? That's coming up, Shorthouse. I'm going to say under, the ever-optimist. I feel like the under only pays out at 1.01 <laughs> in that one, so I'll take the over. <laughs> the big payout would be like 90,000 to one, so I'll take the over. Yeah, and that's when that's when there are different creatures walking <laughs> the earth, I suppose. It'll cash in big. 
with the rubles that'll come for you <laughs> in whatever shape they do come in. Uh, all right, uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. And because the trade deadline's come and gone, we don't need to lead into Ian McIntyre with any trade talk. And here he is. We call him the closer, the triple threat. You hear him on radio, you see him on TV, you read him on digital. He is Ian McIntyre. Yeah, your green light to talk as much as you want about <laughs> trades ended at noon yesterday. Red but I know that you guys will still talk as much as you want about trades. <laughs> every once in a while. Every once in a while. <laughs> every once in a while. Anyway, like in only a while. when you're on radio. <laughs> only on radio. Only only once a show. From now on, we should like do a once a show uh, uh, limit on trade talk from this uh, point on. You, there's no way you'd do it. Uh, like, there's know, no depends. way you'd be depends. able to limit yourself to that. I know. I don't Honestly, have a Have we had trade talk tonight, though? I don't think we have. No, we've, we have reaction to the deadline talk, but yes. no trade. Uh, uh, talk, really. Semantics. Semantics. Just like offers and not offers. Semantics. <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. What what did or didn't happen. But based on you know the, the reporting on the Heron, on, on the JT stuff, it's, it, today, you know what? It, it, it kind of seemed, made it seem like, we'll see what happens in the summer. It's like, you're not going to give us a break on this, are, are you, right? So we'll see what happens in the offseason as well. Until, until We thought JT Miller signing a seven-year extension would quiet the trade talk. Little did we know. Hey, Ian? Yeah. Well, but we have all... And I mean the three of us, because occasionally I do talk about trades as well. I think we've all agreed for a while now that no matter what was going to happen this week, and and a lot did. You know, I I had no idea that the Canucks would make six trades and that the the league itself would be as fluid as it's been, which I think is interesting. It says something about at draft picks, you know, that for a couple of years, it was almost impossible to to squeeze unless you had a player that Tampa really wanted. <laughs> it was almost yeah. impossible to squeeze first round picks. And now they're, now they're flowing like water again. So that probably says something about, about maybe a, a correction in the evaluation of first round picks by some teams, but that's, that's for another, that's for another show. Uh, no matter what was going to happen this week, big or small, we've always said that the real change is going to be this summer. Mm-hmm. Like when you're trying to, for instance, get somebody to take on Brock Besser's salary, that's much harder to do in season than in summer. When you're trying to, when you're trying to uh, look at, say, moving off of Tyler Meyer's $6 million cap, it, well, it's almost an automatic that you have to wait until his $5 million bonus is paid paid in July. And then you can look at, at trading the cap hit with, with a $1 million salary and, and look at some retention there. I mean, that's much more likely, as is if you're actually going to try and move a $56 million contract, that's easier to do. That's easier to do in the summer. So we, I think we've always known that, that this is, is going to be a big summer for Vancouver. And I think Rutherford even said mm-hmm. at that um, now somewhat historic press conference in January that, that uh, they're going to do what it takes. And, and he mentioned buyouts. So, you know, whether that's OEL or who, who would that apply to, 
uh, it's lots of radio fodder between now and then, but, uh, you know, of course the Canucks are not not anywhere done. You know, Philip Ronick wasn't, wasn't the last piece. He was a missing piece for them, but he's far from the last piece that's going to change before next season begins. I prefer the term uh, intelligent discourse, not radio fodder myself. <laughs> but, uh, nevertheless, uh, well, it the goes game. with it goes without saying, Bick, that if you're speaking, it's intelligent discourse. <laughs> uh, on tonight's game, that's you, you hear that? That was a compliment. Yeah, Bick. no, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. very proud right now. I want to write this on my resume. Uh, Thatcher Demko sure, returns. Make sure you get uh, Josh to clip that tape. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make it my ringtone. Just put uh, it on your demo. <laughs> Thatcher Demko I know, people returns. will hang up if they hear my voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thatcher Demko returns. Continues to play really well. Uh, it, it's such a testament to you know the work he had to put into to not just get back and, mm. and play at any level. It's to play at Thatcher Demko's level. Yeah. Now, before I talk to that, you got to tell me honestly, because I have been writing tonight. So I, I haven't, uh, you know, been pouring through... What people have to say on on Twitter or on your in your inbox, inbox. Yeah. but are, how many people have been complaining that the Canucks aren't doing enough to tank? Uh, it's about eighty twenty tonight. Yeah, it wasn't ninety five percent like before. Like Sorry, eighty twenty percent complaining. Oh, okay, yeah, not yeah. as bad right. as we've seen before. Well, that's fair. I mean, that's <laughs> traditionally that's it's more like extraordinary 75. moderation in our market. Well, you it must know what? Be a it's Saturday. People, people Saturday are plans, they're, they're yeah. watching the games at home with a beer because nobody's going to work tomorrow. I think more than happy. anything, Ian, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's why. Yeah, you know what? It brings everybody together, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, it, it certainly does. It should. Yeah, that, Thatcher Demko. It to me, as far as individual players and what you want to know and what you want to position, what you want to work for for next season. Yeah, Rick Tockett is is running kind of a training camp, and he's he's assessing guys already, and he's seeing who can adapt and who can't. And an early adapter is Phil DiGiuseppe, and and he's looking for for those for those guys as well as seeing how his top players adapt. So there's all this assessment going on between now and the end of the season. But in terms of an individual player, and the importance of the twenty games from now to the end of the year, nobody is more important than Thatcher Demko because he's a franchise goalie. And and even though it, his salary, when he plays like he did tonight, $5 million looks like a bargain. And $5 million looked like a bargain pretty much from the time he signed the contract until the start of this season. It, it's vitally important that they get him back in this form and that they get that he's able to play and stay healthy. He's able to play like he did last season so that when he comes into next season, they don't have what happened at the start of, of this one. To me, he's such uh, an important player to get right, to get going and get right and get him back to where he was last year. Because you know what these last three games illustrate as much as anything is is how much, and I and I don't mean to you know take away from a lot of the other good things uh, the Canucks have done. They certainly are playing a different style of game now under Tockett. But to me, what Demko shows is how impactful great goaltending is when you have it. You know, he's played three games; they've won two of them. 
against fairly elite teams. They don't win either of those games without him. And you look at what's happened before these three games. So the first 59 games for the Canucks, when they had a a team save percentage of 87% in all situations, 89% at five on five. These, These are historically bad numbers. And, uh, you know, the, the season, obviously, uh, a lot more has gone into it than just goaltending. But when you get goaltending like Thatcher Demko has shown these three games, if you get that for most of a season, I, and I don't mean literally a 937 save rate, which is what he has, but if you get 910, 915 goaltending instead of 87, that's, that's a massive, massive difference in outcomes for your team. So this is this is a really important runway at the end of this season to get uh, Thatcher Demko going again. Well, it absolutely is. And, you know, in terms of how they're playing in front of him... They, I should they have, have just recorded that, by the way. That's better than anything I've written tonight. <laughs> Josh, can, you send me, you. can you send me the tape after? You guys bring out the best in me. Yeah, see, this, this is why we have you on on the post-game show. You, you know, you we, complete this is the me. right environment. <laughs> <laughs> See, we have the right environment for you to be, to be the best version of yourself, right, Ian? Like, that's, that's what we brought here for you. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we could be the best version of ourselves? The problem is we always know ourselves, so we yes. know we're not. Yes. Well, nobody's at the best at all times. If you were constantly no. the best version of yourself, that would just be normal. But you know what, Ian? If you work within a structure every day, then if you're not at your best, you can still be productive. Yeah. I just need life support, right? Like, yeah. Exactly. Positive, happy people around me. <laughs> it helps. Great to be on radio with you guys. <laughs> exactly. It's positivity radio, us. Um, but, you know, I did want to ask you uh, about Quinn Hughes. And it kind of snuck up on us. The Canucks uh, beat us all to it, announcing that Quinn Hughes became the fastest NHL defenseman in history to get to 200 assists. That's quite the feat, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That snuck up on me, too. I'm going to have to get rewrite. <laughs> but he's you know he's he's a special player and we've we've known that and even last year when he was breaking records and people I think were a little bit dismissive of especially outside the market they say what who's you know Doug Lidster and Dennis Kearns who are those guys <laughs> but the fact is the franchise has existed mm-hmm. for 53 years and they'd they've never had a defenseman like that and so even when he was setting those franchise records last year I think we all knew. I, I think Boudreaux even said he was just going to, you know, continue to break them year after year as he gets better. And he's he's playing, and I was really pumping his tires uh, after the the game in Dallas, like how good he was in a game that the team was otherwise quite badly outplayed. Uh, I just think he's he's probably playing the best hockey of his life, but I'm not surprised at the offensive stuff. What what has raised him to another level is how much now he's he's digging in defensively and knowing you know, knowing when to make the plays in his own zone and and when to just, you know, dig in and battle and he's he's never gonna be a guy who, who blows people over. He's not gonna he's not gonna do what Luke Shen does. <laughs> no. But but he's so skilled that if he has that drive and that determination to compete and get to pucks first and and you know play in traffic and play with a little bit more 
physicality in front of that in terms of just you know boxing out and and you know taking away other guys sticks that's what's going to allow him i think to really be a truly elite defenseman i don't think he gets around the league uh, i i know he doesn't get the credit that he deserves already and maybe he never will because mm-hmm. he's a little guy he's he's been playing on a bad team and he gets a lot of points that maybe some people view as empty calories but i think he has I think he's already an elite defenseman, and I think if he continues to build the defensive side of his game, that he can be regarded truly as like a top 10 defenseman in this league. Unless you're a Maple Leaf, the best way to get recognition is to be on a good hockey team, and hopefully Quinn Hughes gets that uh, in Vancouver in the future, and we can talk about him more around the league in terms of being one of the best. But, Ian, uh, great. I had to get my dig in on the Leafs. You know, Yeah, are you out. saying they're not a good hockey team? <laughs> no, the Leafs, I, no, I know the Leafs are a oh, good Oh, you said in, unless you're on the Leafs, you, you only get recognition if you're on a good team. Yeah, whether you're good or bad, you get, rec- you get recognition. You don't have to be good to get recognition in Toronto is the point. Yeah. Well, it's funny that it's been almost a decade since the balance of power in the NHL in Canada shifted, and the the Canucks went from being very good to very bad, and the Leafs went from being very bad to very good, and yet, in that time, the Canucks still have more playoff victories. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic stat. It really is. I haven't won a playoff round in almost 20 years, so we'll see if that happens this year. Ian, great stuff. I can't wait to hit, read your latest on sportsnet.ca. Glad to have you back on the show and look forward to chatting with you on Monday when the Canucks are back at it here at Rogers Arena. In person. I'll be there. In person. Look forward to it. Can't wait. Thanks so much, Ian. See you guys. Uh, that's Ian McIntyre back here on the post game show. And thanks to all of you for listening and being part of the proceedings this evening. Canucks beat the Leafs 4-1. Enjoy the day off tomorrow. We're back at it again on Monday. And, Bick, what's happening on the People Show on Monday? Brendan Bachelor, as he nice. does every Monday. Love it. Batch. Plus uh, the Billboard, a new segment where we talk about Ooh, the, uh, the Billboard. best players over the last seven games now because we missed last Monday show. All right. Look forward to that. Check that out on the People Show. I'm Satyar Shaw back at it on Canucks Central on Monday with Dan Riccio, Josh Ellie Wolf. Thanks for producing the show back at the station. Thanks to Lena here at the arena. And thanks to you for listening and being part of the show. Enjoy your evenings and be safe right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.